Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 52 of the Close Knit Podcast, and this week I spoke to Gina Stovall of Two Days Off Clothing, the final guest in my series of people who are working in production, for this year at least, is Gina Stovall an intentional minimalist living in LA, working in climate research and designing clothing that is made sustainably in LA. From my time following Gina's clothing brand and her personal Instagram, I got the sense that Gina and I might have a bit in common, but talking to her took that to a whole new level. From slightly sillier details, like our mutual love of data and the way we get a deep satisfaction from packing clothes for traveling, to more profound things, like our shared wondering about how slow fashion can exist and how to exist in an influencer culture. Gina was just so easy to talk to, and we covered so much ground in this chat. Running a business alongside a day job, how it is that she keeps enough time for herself for rest, and her work in climate research. Gina is offering Close Knit Podcast listeners a 15% off discount. Enter the code CLOSENIT at checkout on twodaysoff.com. That's two like the number, daysoff.com. This will be the last episode of what I am very informally calling season one of the Close Knit Podcast, although it has technically spanned about three years. Something you might notice me doing in this episode, and I've noticed myself doing it a lot of late, is asking questions about the role of the influencer slash social media in general on slow fashion in the making community. I have some half-baked ideas around it all, and I'm finding that something like a break sounds really right for me right now. Something else I've been thinking a lot about, especially a few weeks ago when I was sick in bed for about a week, is the necessity of rest. I really do love making the podcast, so it's scary to think about stopping doing that, even if I know it's temporary. But in the interest of listening to my body while it's still a whisper and less of a scream, I'm taking a pause on making the podcast to rest more. If you're supporting the podcast through Patreon, your pledge will pause until we're up and running again. We'll return in the spring of 2020 with more podcast goodness. And until then, you can find me via my newsletter on closeknit.com.au and sometimes teaching at various spots in the Bay. I'll miss making the podcast, but I am so excited to give my body a chance to really deeply rest and come back with even more vigor and excitement to produce more episodes with all the wonderful, thoughtful folks working in fiber in our world. With that, listen on for a whole chat. Thank Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Gina Stova of Two Days Off. How's it going, Gina? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, um, it is like really hot in Oakland today. It's like 94 degrees or something, which I guess is like not really that hot. But like when you live in the Bay Area and you're used to these like 
use of the fog and stuff. I'm like, I'm just dying. And I couldn't, I can't have a fan on in here, obviously, when I'm recording. So I'm always like, I'm just so hot. Okay, so we can commiserate together on this because I just turned my fan off. And I was like, oh, it's already like sweltering in here. So yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm like, low key little beads of sweat like happening on my forehead. But I feel like uh, luckily, this is not a like YouTube podcast, or a a video podcast or whatever. So thankfully, we can just swelter and no one will know except for us. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to ask you, I've never actually done this before, but I wanted to ask you to just like give your little description of yourself. There's, I feel like there's just so much that you're doing. And when I was like looking back through your Instagram, I was like, gosh, Gina just does a lot. And I would love to hear like from your, just in a quick little synopsis of like what it is that you kind of are doing with your time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard because I do tend to have a lot of like interests. Um, yeah. But I'm a sustainable clothing designer. Um, but my first like career path is really as a climate researcher and um, geologist. And I talk a lot on Instagram about sustainable living and just whatever kind of catches my fancy. Um, My partner actually calls me like Kramer because (laughs) I always have a new idea or thing going on and like I have to pursue it immediately. So I talk a lot about mindfulness and sustainability, which I think are really closely related and um, minimalism to an extent, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Totally. I think too, like you're saying you have a lot of different interests, but I, I think you're bang on that. Like a lot of these things are extremely interrelated. I would love to know about, um, kind of, I love to ask this question about your earliest memory of like dealing with fiber, having some interaction with fiber. Cause I often find that even when people are not directly involved in the making of their garments or they're just, they're designing at this stage, usually they have like a vivid memory of like being a child, like doing something with fiber in some way. Do you have a memory like that? I definitely do. I have a couple Mm. that like stand out and I actually don't know chronologically, which was first, Mm. but, um, I think one that really stands out to me is, um, I used to do a lot of crafting. Well, I still do a lot of crafting, um, but with my grandmother and she Mm -hmm. had all of these like kind of encyclopedia um, books of just like different crafts you could do. And one, I know, I wish I could find those books. Yeah. I feel like I could really like revisit my childhood through those books. Um, But one of the crafts in there were these yarn dolls. And so you would Mm -hmm. take like yarn and then just kind of tie them in a certain way, wrap it and tie it so that you would create this little like doll that you could, you know, play with and dress and all of that. Um, And so I think that's one of my earliest memories of like making something with the fiber. Um, Mm. But then I also used to, my aunt used to make me clothes a lot of the times. She would take me to like Joanne's or like the fabric store and pick out my own like fabric. And then we'd pick out a pattern and she would make me something. So I think those two are what really like stand out from the time I was maybe six or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that so much because there's there's almost always a memory and it's almost always something to do with like family lineage or some sort of family history where somebody passed something on. The memory is really visceral. It's like, I don't know if for you, the like, you can imagine the colors of it or the f- sensation of it, but it seems like that's an, that's kind of a, a theme for a lot of us who are like really um, drawn to things that are tactile and textiles and stuff. It's like the memory is really visceral. Totally. It completely is. Yeah. I remember yeah. specifically picking yellow yarn because I couldn't mm-hmm. find a color that I felt represented me. So I chose yellow. Oh, <laughs> I know. Oh. Wait, there are just like so many layers to that. I know. Like, there really are. Like, that's really sweet. And then part of me is like, oh, that's really fucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. 
<laughs> yeah, completely. So you're so there's a little bit of like family history there with your aunt making things and your grandmother too, right? Because I I remember you posting something about your grandmother knitting these like amazing sweaters maybe or she had amazing like fiber <laughs> yeah well so my grandmother is an artist she um oh. she's actually from japan originally and she came to the u.s as a war bride and she's always wow. made everything but she came here she didn't know any english she didn't drive she it was really challenging but um mm. what she did when she came is she um, started taking classes and eventually became a teacher and she taught um um, art in at the center school in Manhattan for many, many years. She was an art teacher. Oh. So she was constantly like saving scrap things and we would make things mm. at the dinner table. Like I remember it so well, that apartment. And yeah, always like, I remember one Christmas, I think I was four and we had plastered the entire apartment in like um, snowflakes, like learning mm. how to make the little folded paper snowflakes and stuff. Right. So yeah, we were constantly making things together and she does do all of that. She used to sew a lot and knit and yeah, she's constantly yeah. making and creating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember um, after all of that kind of, did you kind of, did, was there a theme of you working with something creative or making or designing clothes and stuff? Like how did you kind of get from that kind of, I don't know, the planting of that seed to where now that you have two days, two days off, mm -hmm. can you run me through that? Yeah. So it's really not a <laughs> profound story at all. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I always did like a lot of crafting, whatever else, but I got into sewing my own clothes when I was like around 17 ish, 16, 17. Um, mm -hmm. and I became obsessed with project runway runway, you know, that oh, yeah. reality. Show oh yes. With Heidi much. Klum and Tim Gunn. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. I feel like it's like part of the zeitgeist of that time. It just, I was completely totally. obsessed. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I went to Walmart or somewhere, Kmart, something like that, and got like a really cheap sewing machine and started yeah. to teach myself. And my aunts would show me little tricks and stuff. And I made a lot of really horrible garments out of a lot of really horrible fabric. Um, mm -hmm. And like all through college, I would like to thrift and then try to remake things and, you know, mm -hmm. got really into the blog space that was doing that. So totally. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of where I was with the sewing. Um, and then yeah. it kind of fell off. Like after college, you know, you get into your routine and of life, I guess I did at least. And, uh -huh. um, I stopped sewing for quite a while and it wasn't until the Rana Plaza collapse and that horrible mm. tra tragedy, um, that I started to start looking at my wardrobe again and starting yeah. to want to make my own clothes again and got interested mm. in slow fashion. Um, mm. so yeah, that's kind of how, what led me back. And that was maybe five or six years ago that I started really making my own clothes again. Mm, yeah, that is it. That's really relatable for me. I probably for a lot of people, but for me as well, where it was like kind of interested in this thing, doing it with like whatever I could find, often feeling like remaking or altering is like this very um, accessible way of reaching something like a craft where you're like, well, it's already mostly a garment. So if I just did this, then it would be great. Yeah. And like totally doing it through all of these like very funny DIY blogs, which I recently like looked back at on the internet to see if they still are doing it. And a lot of them are still doing it. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. There's one that I was obsessed with this one maker. Um, I forgot her real name, but she goes by Very Purple Person. 
And I found her on like the Berta style sewing community thing, but I was Mm -hmm. obsessed with her blog and I just followed her. Anything she made, I wanted to make basically. So, and she's still doing it. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, The same for me. I was talking with a friend who I met like through her sewing blog like six or seven years ago and she just came she like lives in Toronto and she just came out to visit me here and we were like talking about the blogs that we used to follow and the places that we used to like kind of congregate on the internet to, and how we found each other and we were like remember what was that person called oh yeah I spy DIY yes. and like all these people and they're like they're totally still a thing a lot of them have kind of shifted to like home renovation which I think more speaks to like our age yeah, roughly and probably. the age that they were <laughs> yeah which I find kind of funny but like it's cool that they're still out there DIY <laughs> yeah I love it I love it it's in our blood it's like you know part of you yeah yeah it's funny I know yeah but I feel like that's yeah it's very relatable for me but I feel like that's a relatable theme of just sort of finding these ways back into it and then like um things kind of tapering off when you have like you know quote real life that gets in the way and then finding your way back so okay so you've you're like sewing clothes for yourself at this point and at what point did you kind of like were you mostly working off of patterns were you designing them for yourself was that kind of the genesis of of two days off what did that look like yeah so I have always been really into Japanese sewing patterns um Mm. they're just I don't know it's very simple and beautiful and elegant and so I have a really large collection of Japanese sewing pattern books going all the way back to like college um, oh, cool. yeah, I mean, they're, a lot of the patterns are very similar, honestly, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are also very petite. I, I noticed, so I would end up redrafting yeah. it a little or adding a real closure. Some of them don't have like proper closures, things like that. Just kind of mm-hmm. like making them suit my lifestyle a little bit better. Um, and there was one dress in particular that I had made for myself and I posted on Instagram and, you know, I was really getting back into like the sewing community online and everything. And some Mm. friends who weren't in the sewing community were like, oh my gosh, I love that dress. Like, will you make me one kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And that's what made me realize, oh, there are other people out there who are like into these, this aesthetic, this design, you know? Right, Um, right. And so, yeah, that's when it, I had like that little glimmer of, hmm, could I make this a business, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When was that? What year? That was 2016, 2017. Right. Yeah. I think that was um, 2016 was when I was doing, it was part of this whole challenge I was doing to um, make my entire summer wardrobe. So I was trying to create like a little summer capsule wardrobe um, Mm -hmm. and travel wardrobe. And so I made like a purse and I made, yeah, bunch of dresses and tops and things like that. And so I think it was part of that capsule where I started to like kind of get that that feeling of, oh, this might be a fun thing to do. Um, uh, and then it wasn't until 2017 that I started to actually listen to that inner voice, you know, and take myself seriously and think about, okay, well, what would this look like if I were to, you know, start a business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Quick detour or quick departure, which is that how great are like capsule and travel wardrobes I, I just realized that I get very excited about, I'm like, oh, I have a trip upcoming and I'm going to pack like as little as possible. And I get like really jazzed about it. And I feel like you would probably share in my <laughs> feelings about that. A hundred percent. Yes. That's exactly what that wardrobe was meant to do. I think it was like yeah. maybe 12 pieces at most. And it was for mm-hmm. a two to three week trip. 
and a few mm-hmm. different climates. And I was determined to have it as like minimal as possible, but like uh-huh. still beautiful. I still want to like look great right. and feel like I can go to a nice dinner and all of those things. So right, right. Yeah. And like go climb up a mountain and do all the things that I want to be able to do. Exactly. Yeah. I am constantly like trying to test the bounds of what clothes are meant to do or like what sort of I've a, a while ago, like probably three or four years ago now, I was like active wear. Like, why? Why do I have this? Like, unless I'm going to go run very far distance, like, you know, most of the time I was hiking or doing something that was like, you know, I'd get sweaty, but it was sort of whatever. And I started just trying to go on more like big long hikes in dresses, just like linen dresses that were very lightweight that had pockets. And I was like, man, why was I not doing this before? Like, this is great. I can pee more easily. Like, that's so true. Yeah. Like pockets for my apples and stuff. Like, it was just a, it just, it just is interesting the way that we kind of like have these concepts of like what things are meant to do and what certain fibers are meant to do. And I'm always like, but why, why wouldn't I, why can't I wear a silk shirt to work out in? Or why can't I, you know, like, why not? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You've like totally inspired me to hike in a dress now. It's like favorite thing to do. And honestly, I think there was this part of me years ago that was like, this is so subversive. Yeah, I'm being like a radical feminist. You know, like I was like 22 or something and being like, I gotta like go (laughs) show that I can like bounce up this mountain in a dress, like fuck the patriarchy or something like that. But, but really it has more, it's evolved into like, I just really dislike the idea of having something that can only do one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like in general, like in my life, I feel like that same thing with like kitchen appliances. Totally. And stuff, oh my gosh. Like- I was just about to say, I have that same. It took me so long to buy a blender because I needed to uh-huh. have like multiple ways I was going to use this blender. And now right. I'm like, oh, I just realized that I can potentially juice things with my blender. Like, Ooh. just got to use my sieve. So I was like, yes, one more thing I can do with this blender. Like, I, <laughs> I'm all about that, though. Multifunction, yeah. multi, multi-purpose, safe space. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the travel wardrobe thing really speaks to me on this, like, gut level. And I think part of that is, like, a it's a creativity sparker. It, like, forces you to look at the things that you have in this way in this new way of like, how could I possibly pair these things together? Or how could I wear something in a way that I've never worn it before? Yep, totally, it does. And mm. it, re- it makes you realize even when you're traveling to how little you really need when you come back. And so, mm-hmm. you know, those pieces, obviously, they're not just for traveling, they're going to serve me every single day. But it made right. me realize, oh, I don't really need like 17 t shirts. Like, why mm-hmm. in the world would I have that many? You know, so I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so, this is so interesting. This is something that I'm really, I'm finding myself really coming up against in like a, uh, it feels like I'm hitting a wall kind of a way. And I'm probably not going to articulate this very well because I tend to be in this like headspace where I can't quite get the words out, but I've got the feeling behind it, you know, of like being on Instagram or being on social media or whatever and feeling like, oh, there are so many brands that I want to support and there are so many people doing amazing, interesting things in the world and working with fibers that I think are good to work with and doing things that are positive and they are people who I think I just want to be there supporting. And then I look back at my own wardrobe and I'm like, there are things in here. There's a lot of things. Like there's a lot of things and they came from places that I either like bartered for or they were like gift from someone who like a brand again that I really love and support and like care about. And 
as a result, then have this like attachment to in a way where I'm like, well, I can't pass it on. I couldn't, you know, resell it or like pass it on or whatever. And then I just have this, I feel kind of stuck in this little quandary of like, but, but how, how do you exist in this, in this place where there's this constant kind of, um, look at this new outfit and look at this new way of wearing this thing and look at this new thing, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. And again, not explaining it well, but you, no, do you no, know what no. I mean? You're explaining it well, because I completely, I completely resonate with that feeling. Mm. I honestly, it took me a long time to come to terms with even starting a business. Cause I'm like, there's right. so many businesses out there and mm-hmm. how do you exist as a for-profit business in a capitalist society that is driven by want, want, need, need, when I don't believe that we really need much more, at least you and I, those of us in this country, we, we don't need that additional dress. Like, but then again, there is an art and a beauty to having things or making things for people that's going to serve them really well for many, mm-hmm. many years. So I really, I go back and forth and I actually say this a lot when people reach out to me or like when I talk to friends about like owning a business, but also being a minimalist and like Mm -hmm. not encouraging like overconsumption, like please don't buy from me because you feel compelled or there are so many other ways you can support brands and businesses and their values. um, That's like not buying from them truly. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm right there with you. There's so many cool makers out there and I want to have a piece of theirs just because I want to have a piece of them in a way. Um, But I have to hold back and support in other ways. Right. Well, and there's this additional layer, I think of, um, for part of me feels like it is like shopping with your values and like putting your money where your mouth is. But then I really do think that at least for me, there's a layer of like, um, performative allyship that comes into play where it's like, this is a person who I want to support. And then I'm going to post about it on the internet to show everyone in the world that I did this good thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that goes all the way back to like your own inner intentions, which can be a very murky, right. you know? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's totally. tough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of this is like such a quagmire of like knowing knowing what the the you know quote right thing is to do. But but I'd love to know about um, with two days off because you you have this lens of like I don't want you to buy this if you don't need it, <laughs> or you know you might you might, might be really the worst business decision ever. But <laughs> I'm not an I'm not a business person by nature, so just winging it right. over here. Right, but I think a lot of a lot of people in this space are kind of there too, where they're a little bit like, that is not, I don't think of myself as a quote business person in nature, but that like, um, there is something really special and kind of relatable about that. And something that is, that is part of what draws people in to you, you know, and into your brand, I think, I think, but given this lens, how have you, what have been some of the decisions that you've had to make to kind of keep it true to that, that core intention? Yeah. So some of the things that I decided really early on is that I, I'm not into traditional marketing um, schemes, mm-hmm. I guess. And so the whole like sale, like slash prices in order to clear inventory, I really don't believe in that. I do do like promotions, like pre-sales, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. get it going when I launch a new product. But um Black Friday sales, 4th of July sales, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't want to play into that. I think it's exhausting and it just like 
kind of motivates people for the wrong reasons. I know I've absolutely bought things that I didn't need or want just because I saw it marked down and then regretted it later. Like, like, why did I even? That's relatable. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to play into that so much. Um, And then as far as like the actual production, I think that's where I kind of was, that was my first focus. So Mm -hmm. I started out only made to order, which in itself is like a game of patience and um, Mm -hmm. true love. Like you really have to love and want and plan for something if it's made to order. Um, And so, yeah, I think that little weight just makes it a little bit more intentional when you go to make the purchase. It, Mm -hmm. It can, it has its like series of issues doing made to order and also making the customer happy and keeping people, you know, like engaged. It's really challenging. Um, I wrote a whole blog post all about my like angst and strife with made to order versus small batch and all of that, Mm -hmm. the inventory Mm -hmm. and operational issues behind doing made to order, all of that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I thought, I really think that that helped me, especially in the first year. And now I think I'm yeah, just a little over a year into things um, mm-hmm. where it really helped me just with my design process and also with um, my audience's kind of expectations. Right. Um, but yeah, I think also I just kind of talk pretty openly about it, um, both mm-hmm. on like my personal Instagram and also on my two days off, like really and truly, if something doesn't serve you or you don't see a purpose for it in your life, don't buy it. Like just save your money. Wait until the next thing. There's always something else, you know? There is always something else. Always. Yeah. yeah. That the like made to order versus small batch thing is so interesting because I often feel like when I look around my like feed or whatever, like the newsletter subscriptions that I have to brands that I again really admire and really want to support, there is this level of like get it while you can because it's going to be gone forever. This is the last sort of bit of it. And it feels like that same kind of sense of urgency that like that false urgency that you're a little bit like, there is no urgency. It's a dress. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's a hard one too, because I work with just dead stock fabric. And so there is definitely, there is an end life on every fiber that I get, you know, every textile. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really struggled with that, especially this year when, you know, I would buy these big rolls and it would take forever to finish them. But then when I had like just a few yards left and I knew, okay, that's going to be one more garment, I didn't know whether to be like, hey, this is like, get it while you can or Mm -hmm. because I don't want to create that urgency in people. But then there are like some people who are like, oh, no, you ran out of that. I had no idea that it would be like, that's it forever, you know? Right, right. Um, well, and I think the concept of dead stock, even though it's kind of like been popularized a little bit by like Reformation and other brands, I still, I think there probably is still like not fully an understanding of like what it really means. Yeah, no, there's a huge gap in knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. I did my first in-person market. And, Mm. you know, I kind of put on my little sign, like made from dead stock materials, handmade in LA, you know, that kind of thing. And I, being me, just assumed everyone knew what dead stock was. But the number one question I was asked is, what is dead stock? Like, Mm. you know, I was like, okay, I need to like step it back a little bit. Right. I mean, can you actually explain what dead stock is? Because I feel like I have an understanding of it, but maybe I'd love to hear in your words. Yeah, absolutely. So typically dead stock, well, you know, when a textile is produced, it's made in a mill and usually in huge quantities because Mm -hmm. a big brand like Reformation, well, they use dead stock primarily, but um, let's say the Gap or something, they want to make um, X amount, like thousands of pieces in this fabric. And typically they won't use all of that fabric up. 
they'll have, a, let's say they make 10,000 t-shirts and then they'll still have leftover fabric. They don't want to just, sometimes it gets burned, honestly, like if it's a proprietary mm-hmm. kind of fabric or special design, which is a travesty because there's so many resources, so much embodied energy that goes into making that textile, growing yeah. that whatever it's made from and then making it in the first totally. place. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they'll have this leftover stock, basically stock textile. And sometimes they'll sell it to what they call um, jobbers. And so mm-hmm. these are people who will resell the fabric afterwards. So okay. you could find maybe 20 yards or you could find several hundred yards of this dead stock at a time. And right. yeah, actually one of my favorite parts of this job is like going and hunting for dead stock. Right. I was going to ask like how that, how you even do that. Like I have no yeah. concept of like where I'm like, so Google dead stock. Like, uh-huh. Well, yeah, you won't get much, honestly. Um, right. It started, I moved to LA a couple of years ago and I'm so happy I did because the textile industry and garment like manufacturing industry here is amazing. Um, mm. But I actually found one of my favorite dead stock uh, sources in downtown LA, literally just going from like door to door, trying to find warehouses that had dead stock, essentially. Wow. There's yeah. a lot of retail fabric down there, but you'll also find like marked down dead stock. And um, yeah, I just go in and touch everything and make sure I have my hand sanitizer and I'm, you know, have my scissors to swatch everything. But yeah. yeah, it's literally, I do it on foot and I actually get a lot of questions from other makers like, oh, how do you find it? Do you get it online? And I haven't right. had much success online personally. So mm. you've got to like really physically be there. I, I have at least, I don't know. Right. I'm still a little, I feel I'm a little green in this area too. So maybe there are mm-hmm. some good sources online that I just haven't found yet. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the information just wasn't super available online. You know, that's, it's a little bit the the sense that I get in a lot of aspects of production where it's sort of like, it's a little bit proprietary, quote unquote, or it's a little bit like it can be protective from time to time, just because, you know, you worked hard to build this connection with this mill or whatever. And it's, it seems scary to give that kind of information up to other people with like, worrying about the competition of it, which like, again, is flawed. But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I can understand like where it came from. Um, do you like, is it the case that you can find out the fiber content of that fabric? No, that is such a good question. And no, that's why, um, I, I actually just yesterday had to post, I was posting this Instagram story about the fiber content because someone was asking, Mm. Oh, um, will I sweat in this dress? You know, I sweat a lot, I get hot. And so Mm -hmm. every time I post it, it's like, I think this is a hundred percent cotton and Usually you can tell I do like burn testing. I kind of try and look at the fiber and like fray it a bit and try and figure it out that way. Um, Check for stretch. If you ever find stretch in a fiber, you know, there's probably spandex or something like that blended in Mm -hmm. there. Um, I really try to find 100%, you know, cotton, linen, wool, those kinds of like natural fibers because they just wear well over time. They breathe well. They're just so much better in general. Um, yeah, but you can, I can never be a hundred percent sure unless they right. know where the dead stock came from. And once in a while they do get it directly from the mill. So they will know. Right. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I'm a, I'm such a like natural fiber. I don't know nerd or devotee or something. I don't know exactly what to call it. It seems I sometimes feel like a bit of a, my friends are like, you're a little bit of a snob about it. And I'm like, well, it's more, it's actually, I think more of a sensitivity thing that my body's just like really sensitive. And I notice the difference between um, like 
natural fibers in the way that they feel in my body and that that's just always sort of been the case, you know? I think we should all be more snobby about it, to be honest. We should all demand natural fibers, you know? And I know. It's just, it's better for you. It's it's better if your skin can breathe. It's better for the environment. Like, it's just so yep. much better. But I won't turn my nose away from dead stock fabrics that are blended with other things because they've already totally. been made. So. Totally. Yeah, I think that that is extremely important. And it's, yeah. Yeah, I think that obviously there are like compromises that you have to make when you're working with something that's already there. But it's, I mean, yeah, hopefully too, there's a point where the dead stock will just become like there'll be enough of a demand for just natural fibers that people, the dead stock will always just be from yeah. people working with natural fibers. That would be cool. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you work in climate research as a day job, right? Yes, yes. Or an additional job. I don't mean to sit like imply where the money comes from. I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, no. Definitely the day job is where the money comes from. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, far. I mean, same. Yeah, we're, we're hoping for a shift soon. But um, yeah. yeah, I so two days off kind of has a double meaning for me. I named it because I started it in my two days off from my day job. Mm -hmm. um, actually, back when I was still in New York and then moved to LA and had a little more freedom in my day job to work even evenings now for two days off. But um, also it was really this idea of like me wearing the clothes that I want to wear. And the only chance I really had to do that with my day job was on my two mm. days off. So it's the clothes mm. that I wanted to be in, feel good in on the weekend, like what I would right. choose to wear. Um, and so, yeah, I do have a day job. I am a climate researcher slash program manager slash jack of all hats or Jane of all hats because um, I work at a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's definitely hectic, but we do really great work. I'm very proud of the work that I do in my day job, which is probably why it's so hard for me to make that transition. Um, right. But yeah, I so I started out as a geologist, I think I mentioned, and mm -hmm. I studied climate change in undergrad. And I was pretty sure I wanted to go into academia all the way mm. up until entering my PhD program. And then I was right. like, I got cold feet. It's like, I don't know, I need to do something like applicable. I don't want to be just in the lab for the rest of my life. Totally. Um, so I took a year off and went to Peru for a while. Mm. And that's where like my whole and talk about great fibers and a great fiber culture and artisans. Oh my goodness. Mm. Peru just, it completely inspired me. And I really, while I was there, I realized that I wanted a lifestyle that wasn't all about work because up until then I, you know, I thought that everything was about work and I saw yeah. people going home in the middle of the day, closing up their shops, like to go have lunch with their families. And then, you know, it was just like such a great culture and like yeah. the values were completely different from what I had been exposed to here in the States. Um, and so that's when I decided, okay, I want to do work that's going to actually help people now related to climate change and the environment. Um, and I'll figure out if I want to do grad school eventually, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I spent, uh, probably I graduated right at around the time of the recession, the great recession or whatever in 2009, so I spent some time abroad and then I came back. I finally found a job and I worked as a geologist for a couple of years before then figuring out grad school. And mm. um, yeah, I did this really cool program at Columbia called Climate and Society. Yeah. I, I like always 
I don't know. I rave about it because it was exactly what I needed. I was a couple of years into my profession and I got to basically create my graduate program. Like it was a lot of climate science, but which I had a background in, but then I also focused on urban planning and policy and Mm. um, urban design. And it was just exactly what I needed at that point in my life. So yeah, that was like 12 months of my life, came out of it, kind of figured things out, stumbled around a little bit, did a fellowship, did some teaching, and then eventually landed at a nonprofit. And I was working with cities on their climate action plans towards um, the Paris Climate Agreement. And yeah, then I worked for the state for a little bit. I'm giving you like my whole resume now. No, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. keep it coming. I'm loving it. Um, yeah, after I worked for ICLEI, I was really focused on data. I love data, very nerdy about that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, you my too. soul right now. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. <big> time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I feel like it goes hand in hand with creative people too, because like data just opens up this whole world for you. Um, totally. And then like ways you can visualize it. Like it's just so yep. embarrassing, but again, you might appreciate it. I had a, um, I was like panicking the other night and the way that I calmed myself down was like pulling up my day jobs, uh, data platform and creating some visualizations. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I like, can Whoa. so relate. <laughs> it was like so it. silly, but it felt so, yeah, exactly. And it was like, I can see this. It's clear to me what these things mean. And then they have this actionable, this, this like path forward yes. that you could, you could take action from, but there's like clear data that's right there in front of you that you can look at. Totally. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm right there with you. A woman um, after my own heart. Yeah, yes, exactly. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Yeah. After that first nonprofit out of grad school, I worked for the state of New York um, after Mm -hmm. Hurricane Sandy and did um, Hurricane Sandy recovery work and resilience work, um, Mm -hmm. which was probably the most, it was the most challenging for sure work that I've ever Mm -hmm. done, like working with individuals. And I mean, I was a little bit removed in that I started as a researcher and data, um, doing data analysis and then moved on to policy analysis and than program management, but mm. actually knowing appli- like people who were impacted and who were struggling because of an effective climate change, you know, um, really made it real for me. Mm. And yeah, so I did that for a while and I was really proud of the work that we did there, um, to be honest. And even thinking back, I get a little bit like mushy over just the people that I worked with too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I ended up after a couple of years there moving to LA and much lighter lifestyle now and <laughs> started at another nonprofit and that's where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really impressive that in your two days off from your five day a week job or presumably around five days a week, you're also running this other thing. Like, how does that feel in your body? Can I ask you that? Yeah, you can ask that. I have never, I don't know how it feels in my body. I think a lot of the time it feels exhausting. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I can't even, you know, I've been thinking a lot about rest because I've been now commuting to this job that I have and that additional thing of like being on a train and with a bunch of people and being in a big office with a bunch of people and then doing this job and then also trying to like, I don't know, be a human in the rest of the time. I am the theme in my life lately is just like, I am just so tired. Yeah. And that's what I was, I was just curious about how you're finding that and, and what sorts of ways you kind of move through that or how you, or what tools maybe you found for moving through that. Yeah. Well, yeah, 
the rest thing is huge because mm. actually this year, one of every year I pick a theme for myself to of something mm. I want to improve or focus on. And this year yeah. I told myself that I'm going to intentionally rest because last year I had this big health scare where I was working so hard. It was actually towards the Global Climate Action Summit. And I was ignoring oh. my body and got pneumonia after a while. Like oh, it went no, from being yeah. just sinus congestion to pneumonia. And I was like, how can I neglect myself so much that I can get that sick, you know, right. um, and focus so much on work? Like none of this is important if I'm sick, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this year has been all about intentionally resting. I don't know how well mm. I've done this. I probably give myself a C, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really fortunate in that I work from home for my day job. Mm-hmm. That that is truly a blessing because in my previous job, there's no way I could have run a business and done that at the same time. Right. Um, and I, I like kind of going back to the Peru thing, like designing the mm. lifestyle that you need and you want. Um, right. I was able to negotiate with my current job. They're mostly based on the East Coast. And so mm. I told them, you know, I'll work East Coast hours um, pretty much. And then that gives me the evenings to kind of reset and take care of myself and right. um, do anything for two days off that I need to in the evenings. And yeah. so I wake up like around 5.36 on a good day, 6.30 on a bad day. And <laughs> I log on around 7 and yeah. I work from 7 until 3. And mm. yeah, typically I really stay strict to those hours unless we have a really big deadline or event coming up. But um, I'm, I really have learned to honor like I've agreed to do this much work and the rest of it right. can wait until the next time I log on. Right. And I think that that is such a hard part about the way that we're working these days. And also also believing in the work that you do or having a like kind of heart connection to your work, I think is it's hard to it's hard to log off with this additional thing of like, oh, but you're basically contactable at any time. You're you could basically be working at all of the time. Like, so why not? It's like such a I have to constantly catch myself with like just, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just open that because I could or exactly. I'll just, you know, it's such I really a slippery like, slope. I know. And I've really tried to, because I've only started this job in like July. So I've been trying to not, I've been trying to set up the sort of boundaries for myself that I need prior to like when I know things are going to get very busy. And when I know that I will have more of a role in each of these projects where like at this point, I'm like, I'm still kind of figuring out what's going on. But it's meant that I've done things like been really strict about like no slack on my phone, no emails on my phone, like no touching it until like leave your work computer at work. Although I learned that I can do all of my work from my home computer. <laughs> I realized that like yesterday when I was like, oh, I left my work computer at work. So I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to do the work on my... So that's the thing I learned I can do. But I have to be... I, fi- I mean, I find it with Instagram too, where I like literally have to delete the thing off of my phone to not engage with it. You know, it's like there's there's something that's engaging enough about these things in whatever way it is. I get enough like reward in some sense from each of those things that I literally have to like, s- like not have the option to do it. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I know. I completely, yes. It's very, very hard. Even I'll yeah. log off at the end of the day. I hit Slack. I'm like, okay, logging off. And if I had sent an email around three and I get a reply, you know, after my hours, I still right. open that email and look at it. But then I have like trained myself to mark it as unread so that I can mm. respond to it the next day because really it's only doing a disservice to myself if I'm responding to it when I'm not fully available and present. Right. for this. You know, my mind right. is not in the right space. And 
I started this whole habit of as soon as I log off, I go for a walk in the evenings um, mm. or I'll like give myself like within an hour of logging off, I need to get outside, go for a walk around my neighborhood and reset my mind because right. otherwise I'm still in work mode and I'm still worrying in the background. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I have to kind of physically remove myself from my space and then start right. over. Right. Uh, yeah. I find that with working from home that that can be hard where I'll just kind of go from like being in bed to like tumbling gently out of bed yep. to working to like working all day and then kind of working into the night because I could or I like yeah. took a break in the middle of the day or something random. It's like, I think that that's really nice that like that reset walk is a great idea. And I do find like with the commute, there's a there are ways to kind of decompress. at least there's some walk, you know, some of it's on a train, which is like, it's it's a whole other thing. But the walk to and from the station and stuff, especially when you get to go at like when the um when the sun is starting to set, it's just like yeah. it's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very nice. Um, I would love to know what you've been working on and what you're kind of excited about with two days off. Yeah. Okay. So I've been working on a lot because um yeah. I'm really trying to I don't know. There's a lot of aspects of the business that I feel I've been neglecting just mm. because of time. And one of the big things is my sustainability, like being more transparent about the actions that I'm taking. So mm. even simple things like explaining what dead stock is. Um, I've been working on this series that I'm calling Inside Two Days Off, where it's just kind of me brain dumping the things that I've learned and the reasons why I'm making certain decisions and how that plays into the values of the of the company. Mm. Um and so that's one thing that I'm really enjoying, like also getting out of my head and just putting down on not paper, but on a screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of paper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing next year, I really want to start measuring my uh, impact. So my greenhouse gas footprint first off, um, mm. water and things like that, which is really complicated because mm -hmm. I'm using dead stock. So it's going to be like, proxy, uh, you know, trying to approximate those things. Um, right. But my background is in data, it is in climate change. And I really want to use those skills and transfer them over and understand mm -hmm. my own impact. So I know where I can do better as the brand grows and just kind of keeping an eye on that. Um, so I'm really excited about those things. They're pretty nerdy, but it's fun. Um, yeah. And then designing is always really fun. I'm I'm like, I really stick to the slow fashion ethos and that it takes me forever to design mm -hmm. something. I like to think it through. I like to do all the sampling myself and like wear it myself and see if this mm. is like legitimately something that I would want. I think add something to my wardrobe. So, mm -hmm. and then kind of make it available to others. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of behind the scenes designing too. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice though. I feel like there's just so much in this, like even brands that are like working kind of in slow fashion are still producing kind of closer to like a fast fashion calendar. Like they're releasing new garments so regularly that it's like, how is this really any, this is, you're just making less of them, I guess, you yeah. know, like it, I, I kind of it leaves a funny taste in my mouth, like about the ways in which, again, it kind of comes right back to that, like consumption habit of like, even if we're doing things in a slightly better way, we're still doing them really quickly. I feel like there's something, there's something kind of being missed there. Yeah. Yeah. An important part of that, of kind of, of the slowing down in that process. I agree. Yeah. And I like that. You, yeah. The wear testing is a great idea too, I think. 
knowing that a garment will function and that you like it and like, oh, that pocket could have moved here or like, you know. Totally. Yeah. And I like to be able to wash it quite a few times before. Mm. So Mm -hmm. with dead stock, you kind of are taking a chance. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've gotten pretty discerning by touch and, you know, working with the fabrics, but until I start washing it and then re-wearing it, I don't really know how it's going to act. So um, I try to only, you know, pick fabrics that I know are going to wear pretty well. And I've actually tested them a little. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, I think I'm really, that was a really good chat. And I'm really pleased (laughs) with like everything that we got to cover. And I feel like I want to make sure you make it to your event on time. And I feel really happy with everything we got to talk about. Was there anything else that you want to share with us? No, I was having, I'm having a blast. So I totally forgot I have to go hit LA traffic now. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be fine. Not ideal. It's it's getting late, so it'll be fine. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. 